Hey everyone, welcome to Be The Change. My name is Lily Maud, and today I'm going to be talking about how change comes when you figure out what you're good at and what makes you feel like flying. This week's guest is Dustin Liu, and he is the ninth U.S. Youth Observer to the United Nations. Dustin is currently attending graduate school at Harvard, where he is pursuing his master's in education. I was so excited to connect with Dustin, and I am just as excited to share his story with you now. So, let's get started. Well, thanks so much for having me. Uh, My name is Dustin Liu. I'm currently serving as the ninth U.S. Youth Observer to the United Nations. I'm calling in from uh, Long Island, New York. I use he, his pronouns, and I'm just so excited to share a little bit about uh, the work that I'm doing, Uh, a little bit about myself, a brief overview. Um, Grew up on Long Island, son of two Taiwanese immigrants, ended up getting really involved in student leadership causes and political movements. Wanted to study that in college, so I ended up going to Cornell University, where I studied industrial and labor relations. Uh, Led me to think really critically about the role of education in terms of creating change makers and inspiring our next generation of really, you know, game changers in terms of the way in which we achieve equity and achieve justice, was really focused on education also as a form of mobility. So understanding that education allows us to access opportunities that we didn't conceive previously. Um, So it led me to graduate school. So I'm currently in a graduate program. I'm studying higher education, specifically um, the sociology of higher ed. And it's definitely informed the work that I'm leading at the United Nations. Of course, I was excited to talk to Dustin more about his role as the U.S. Youth Observer to the United Nations. I asked Dustin to tell me about what the job entails, and he also shared some about his experience applying and being accepted into the position. What a great question. Yeah. So a little bit about the role first. I like to describe it in three different buckets. The first is to amplify youth leadership. So people like you, people all across the country that are working on the SDGs and really pushing forward these really important goals. We want to elevate them and use our platforms in order to make sure that they're heard and respected and acknowledged for the hard work and leadership that they're putting into these causes. The second bucket is to really activate young people. So spending a lot of time in classrooms with young people, with youth organizations, with, you know, just generally young people who may not be engaged currently and finding ways in which we can give them the tools and also opportunities to be engaged in the global goals because we really need everyone on board. And then there's a last piece around really humanizing the United Nations. So through my role, I'm part of the Youth Delegate Program, so I have the opportunity to uh, have briefings with uh, UN organizations, uh, with UN agencies, uh, to have the opportunity to speak on high-level political forums and have the opportunity to really bring youth stories that I've been hearing all across the country to these conversations. So on that end, I try to make it as accessible as possible, try to bring young people to UN conferences when I can, try to write blog posts about my experiences and, and really trying to humanize an institution that can sometimes feel like it's not made for young people. It's a open application process. So I encourage everyone listening and yourself included to apply in the coming cycles. I applied twice. So I always like to share that I applied when I was a sophomore in college, didn't get the role. And I ended up uh, really digging into my interests in global education and really digging into my interests uh, in education more generally. And I really found that uh, when I went back and applied, this past year, I had a stronger application, I had a stronger sense of my skill set, I had a stronger sense of what I wanted to do with the role, and I've been so fortunate to, to be in this position to, to really work on those plans. 
Part of Dustin's role was to represent American young people at the 75th UN General Assembly, which seems absolutely amazing. Dustin attended the event via Zoom this year due to COVID, but he still loved the experience. I asked him to tell me about his thoughts and feelings following the event this past fall, and this is what he shared with me. Yeah, you know, Lily, what a great question, because I think oftentimes we consider how much of a loss 2020 was in terms of the virtual environment. And I really want to push back on that because the 75th General Assembly made me realize how important it was to have young people be in the front row seat, right? It's this odd thing with Zoom, an odd thing with the way in which we conceive of virtual events. No longer are we limited by the size of the room. We're only limited by bandwidth. And I think that there is a huge digital divide in our country, right? a huge digital divide internationally. Uh, and we need to consider how folks may not have access to these resources. But I saw more young people be engaged than previous GAs. I saw more young people in meetings uh, having their voices heard. So I think that it was a really magical moment to kickstart my term. I was appointed um, in late July, early August, uh, and really a wonderful experience for me to get my feet wet to understand what are ways in which we can work to center young voices, specifically in international and multilateral events. You know, feelings, I, I felt absolutely inspired. It's, a, it's really an opportunity to have uh, a variety of different sectors come together and think critically about the global goals. You know, my biggest takeaways included the fact that we really do need partnerships across sectors. We need the private sector to really center climate change, climate action, to really understand ways in which each and every one of us play a role in this broader movement towards these goals. And I think another, you know, core takeaway that I had was just the power of young people. Meeting the youth delegates from all around the world made me realize, you know, we're part of something larger than ourselves. And we need to think about how the work we do locally really does help this entire international movement towards these unified goals. There's something so magical about having the same language of the SDGs and really just having the chance to compare notes and say, we're actually not that different than people halfway around the world, than young people halfway around the world. And in this COVID environment, in this virtual world, we're better able to engage across different and to really reach out just because we have the means and we feel comfortable doing so. So a lot to say, but um, just generally had such a wonderful experience and I'm just continually inspired by the work that young people do. The United Nations makes goals called Sustainable Development Goals or SDGs, which help them to target certain issue areas. That being said, all of the SDGs are important and connected because they're helping countries to work toward a healthier planet and more peace and prosperity for everyone around the world. I asked Dustin which of the UN's SDGs he's most passionate about as an activist, and these were his thoughts. Yeah, you know, Lily, my interests really focus around SDG 4 quality education and SDG 10 decent work, right? I think that there is a strong connection between education and the workforce and I think we need to really consider the ways in which we're using education as an opportunity to develop whole humans that have the ability to engage across difference, that have the ability to dialogue, that have the ability to think critically and creatively. But we also want to make sure that they are being validated in the labor market. We want to make sure that people are learning to earn. And I think uh, that's where a lot of my work has, has transpired in terms of my professional work, right? Really thinking about credentials, really thinking about higher education innovations. 
And in terms of my work at the UN, I would say that the work that I do in global education falls into quality education. Because when we think about a whole human, when we think about what we want young people to take away, I often say that a quality education is helping young people see themselves as problem solvers. And at the end of the day, when we go into classrooms and we talk about the SDGs and talk about how young people can push those forward, we're talking about their capacity to be problem solvers and to be change makers. So as much as possible, I'm trying to push forward those two goals, not to say that they're not tightly linked with the other goals as well. I think there's a strong connection between quality education and health and well-being. There's a strong connection to having multi-sectoral movements towards ensuring quality education. So really seeing the SDGs as a framework, as a North Star has been helpful because I've seen the interconnections and I've seen that it's sort of a constellation uh, where I can't necessarily just talk about one SDG. I need to talk about all of them at the same time. Along those same lines, I was interested to know which of the SDGs young Americans are most passionate about. Dustin engages in conversations with young people from around the country about the issues they care about. And Dustin shared some of the most pressing concerns for young Americans at this point in time. You know, you know, I, I can take that in, in two directions. The first I'll say, you know, obviously racial justice has come up quite a bit, right? Climate justice has come up quite a bit. You know, access to quality education, gender equality, those are all that we really heard loud and clear, that we, we have equity gaps in our country that we need to work towards. What I heard as a secondary concern that I found very poignant was the idea that people are feeling paralyzed, right? These issues are really difficult, right? When we are looking at statistics, when we're considering the fact that we are getting bombarded by sometimes really bad news, it can sometimes feel like it's a huge problem. With young people, I've been hearing burnout. With young people, I've been hearing the fact that they've been feeling really paralyzed in this moment and they're tired, right? So that's the biggest concern that I've had and it's really helped me restructure the way in which I'm thinking about my term. It's not that young people are apathetic, it's young people are tired and paralyzed and we need to find a way in which we operate from a place of hope and not fear. We often frame conversations around these global goals to be apocalyptic in nature, and it sometimes comes from a place of fear. And I think it's important for us to consider that we need to come from a place of hope, and that lasts longer, and that creates change makers for life rather than change makers in this moment. So it's a big concern. We're working towards solutions, but I know if anyone's listening to this podcast and has ideas on ways in which we can reconfigure the global goals around hope, like I'm happy to collaborate and, and hear about that. Dustin mentioned how difficult these conversations can be when you're dealing with problems like climate change and racial justice. I asked Dustin, how do you deal with burnout? What keeps you going when you feel disheartened? Really, I turn to young people. I turn to young people, specifically those that are in elementary school, specifically those who have a sense of hope and imagination that I think sometimes gets dulled out. In a lot of my conversations, I often talk about how my work with elementary school students is the most inspiring. The work that I get to do with my younger cousins, you know, having them talk about what they hope for the world gives me hope, right? They have this immense sense of imagination, and I think it's something that is just so nurturing. And I think connecting with young people and understanding ways in which helping them and and supporting them in the process of seeing themselves as a change maker gives me so much hope. So I would say from a work perspective, that's how I'm gaining the energy to keep going. But in terms of burnout, I have figured out ways in which I feel nurtured. And I think it's through family, time with family. I pick up a book. I set aside time to really understand that I can't push forward the cause if I am empty myself. And I think it's been incredibly important for me to think about the fact that we, we only have so much that we can give. 
And we need to think about ways in which we can make this fight sustainable. I was talking to a seventh grader the other day and he said, now that I know about climate change, do I have to be thinking about it every day for the entire, like the entirety of my life? And it felt very overwhelming. And I think it's important for us to understand, well, no, there are ways in which we can work on these issues every day, but it doesn't need to overconsume us. And if we burn out too early, we're not going to be a change maker that we need to be for the rest of our lives. So thinking critically about that and really taking the time for me to consider what nurtures me and when I'm feeling like I'm being burned out have been really helpful for me to self-examine that in myself and really helpful for me to have folks around me say, Dustin, maybe it's time to slow down. Um, so those are just some thoughts on burnout, but I'm still always trying to be more cognizant of it and trying to find ways in which I can restore myself. I absolutely loved Dustin's answer, and I really, really love his passion for education. Dustin is interested in exploring the ways that we can improve public education, and he is working on a project to bring global citizenship education to K-12 classrooms. I asked Dustin to tell me about the motivation behind his program and to tell me more about its mission. The Global Community Architect Initiative is, is the way in which we've been framing it. And through that project, and it's definitely expanded into my role and just have be, has become you know, a consistent extracurricular, if you will, is finding ways in which we can translate global citizenship into classrooms through project-based learning. And this came out of my own experiences studying abroad. I grew up in Queens, New York, son of two Taiwanese immigrants. So the, the world felt very close because of my proximity to it. I grew up in Queens, which is one of the most linguistically diverse places in the world. You know, I grew up in a community that was majority, uh, the majority of my peers were sons and daughters of immigrants. And I think it's important for me to consider how, even with that perspective, it was different when I had an opportunity to go to college and do engaged work abroad. Right. So doing research in Beijing, uh, you know, having the opportunity to work on projects in southern India, you know, traveling to these different places made a difference in the way in which I perceived others and the way in which I assumed distances. Because I, at the end of the day, I, uh, my biggest takeaway from those experiences is that we are more alike than different. And I wanted to bring that back into the classroom because I figured how powerful would it be if we had an opportunity to help K-12 students know that even before they go to college. And why are we holding these experiences to so only elite spaces? So thinking critically about that, I started partnering with teachers in America to think about ways in which we could build uh, sister school partnerships through projects, right? So this came in the form of creating a, a video of a day in the life in the United States and a day in the life of a student in Southern India. And, and using those as curricular tools to help young people understand we're more alike than different and we can make a difference and we need you to make a difference. So a lot of those formative moments have been absolutely transformative. And it's something that I've continued to think about in my role. What are ways in which we can build sustainable global citizens? What are ways in which we can build change makers in our public schools, in our public curriculum, in formal education? Because it needs to be embedded in everything that we do if we have any shot at really reaching the goals that we've set out for ourselves. Both of my parents are public school teachers and I've always been interested in exploring the flaws in the American education system and the ways in which the system perpetuates socioeconomic inequities. That being said, I was really interested to ask Dustin what he thinks are the biggest issues in the American public school system and what changes he'd like to see in the future. Great question again. Uh, uh, what I lean towards is our ability to build whole humans. I, th I think sometimes in the schools that I've been in, I, I've been inspired by the way in which teachers 
see the potential in their students. And I think educators sometimes get bogged down by policy and get bogged down by all of these things that they have to do, these curricular mandates. And I think at the end of the day, we really need to reconsider what we want our students to become. You know, the biggest problem that I've often conceived myself when, when thinking about the public education system is how we're treating students like widgets, right? It's like, let's put in this input, we're going to get the same output. When in actuality, there's a, a real benefit of having students bring their funds of knowledge, for having students uh, bring their own stories into the classroom and become part of the curriculum and to feel as though they can create knowledge and contribute to this larger expansive idea of what we have to learn. So I think at the end of the day, when I think about this big question of what, you know, what is wrong with the American public education system, I think it comes down to personalized learning. It comes down to us really nurturing each and every person's capacity. It comes down to us really thinking of humans as individuals, unique individuals that have so much to bring. And it it requires us to come from a place of joy and come from a place of hope, right? We need to consider and see what's good here, what's beautiful here, what's possible here, rather than pathologizing students and the environments that they're in. So that's just one thematic thing that I've thought about, but really coming down to that baseline, you know, foundation that sometimes we're treating education like it's a machine or a, you know, a conveyor belt that needs to be disrupted. I really loved Dustin's insight and genuinely think I could have talked with him about education policy for hours and hours. But there were a couple of other things I wanted to ask Dustin, so we had to switch gears a bit. While it's a little cliche, I asked Dustin who he considers to be his role model, and I really, really loved this answer. Also, perhaps cliche, but it's my mom. I consider my mom the first community organizer that I ever met, right? So growing up, she worked really diligently to help elders in our community learn how to gain citizenship, you know, learn English. And I saw the transformation that those individuals had, right? A very visceral memory that I had growing up was being in her office and just, you know, being there just because I had a day off from school and and seeing individuals come into her office, these 80, 90-year-old grandparents, so happy to have learned a new word, so happy to have been able to communicate with their grandchildren, so happy to have been able to gain citizenship. And I saw the transformation that she made in those families and those those communities. And, and from time and time again, whenever I get a little bit bogged down or whenever I feel like things are things are impossible, I think I look to the work that she's done to build a community, to build a really strong, supportive immigrant community uh, on Long Island. The work that she's done to expand access to music education, to think about the ways in which she's really used education as a tool for mobility for our, for our community overall. I'm just inspired. So also cliche, but definitely my mom. At this point, I was excited to ask Dustin my favorite question because I knew he'd have a great answer. What advice do you most want to share with young people who want to make a difference around the world? And these are his words of wisdom. Yeah, I have a backwards answer. I always tell young people, figure out what you're good at and figure out what your strength is. Figure out what you're better at than anyone else in a room. Second, figure out what makes you feel like you're flying because that can sometimes be different. What do you really enjoy doing? And think about how those two things tie to the change you want to see in the world. I think oftentimes we use scripts that are prescribed to us, sign a petition, right? Volunteer, you know, do this, do that. It doesn't feel exciting unless it ties to who you are as a human. And I think it's really important that we make change making personal and we try to find ways in which our story connects to the change that we want to make. So as much as possible, 
try to write down every day, you know, what makes me excited? You know, that was really fun. What, what about that made it fun? And try to self-analyze yourself and say, well, this is a path that I can make change. And this is a path that really excites me. So starting with figuring out what you're good at, figuring out what you like and tying that to the issue areas you want to make will allow you to have a good map on how to move forward in your change maker journey. Okay, so before I let Dustin go, I wanted to ask him about where he's hoping to be in the future. With his wonderful passion for education, I wasn't too surprised when he shared this answer. Yeah, I mean, I think the first piece is that I want to continue supporting young people to become change makers, and that can be in a variety of different capacities. But, but I think I'm really invested in this idea that we all need to be on board, we all need to have the skills, and we all need to have the opportunity to contribute. So I'd love to continue building skills in young people to know how to make change. There's a second piece of this, which is, I think, in terms of where I see my life going professionally, and, and I, I'm leaning towards understanding where my place is in, in research and academia. So um, I, I'd love to pursue, you know, further uh, studies on this, just really related to my interest on education and workforce development. It's like super up in the air, right? Like if there's anything I learned in 2020, uh, plans are just plans and they're probably not going to work out. So I'm keeping an open mind, but I definitely still want to center young people in my work. Wow. Wow. And oh my gosh, wow. My conversation with Dustin was one of my favorites I've had so far because I was just so inspired after talking with him. He completely knows that young people are the future and that it is so important to invest in them. He recognized his passion for education and tapped into that passion as a way to empower young people. Dustin's pursuit of his passions is wonderfully consistent with his own words of wisdom that change comes when you figure out what you're good at and what makes you feel like flying. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and you can follow Dustin on Instagram at usyouthobserver. If you want to talk about anything I mentioned, please reach out to me by email at lily at bethechangepodcast.org or on Instagram at bethechangepodcast. Tune in for my next episode, but until then, be the change you wish to see in the world. Bye, guys.